This Star News Media Podcast is presented by North Chase Family Dentistry. Open evenings, Saturdays, and they probably take your insurance. Visit them on the web at NorthChaseFamilyDentistry.com. And by Tidewater Heating and Air Conditioning, servicing all major brands with highly trained technicians who are the best the industry has to offer. Serving Wilmington and surrounding communities for more than 40 years. Learn more at TidewaterAC.com. Welcome to another episode of Cape Fear Unearthed, a podcast from Star News Media. I'm your host, Hunter Ingram, and I'm a reporter for the Star News here in Wilmington, North Carolina. When you're not listening to me talk about history on this podcast, you can read my byline on coverage of the city, the local film and television industry, and my weekly TV Hunter column. This week, we're going to grab our shovel and dig into another story from the Cape Fear history books of persisting legends, historical oddities, and mysterious figures. As always, I'm going to share with you the story as it has been passed down through history and told through legend, and then I'm going to bring in someone from the community with knowledge of our tale to discuss what impact the story may have had on the region and whether or not history can be trusted. So settle in for this episode of Cape Fear Unearthed, as I share with you the inspiring story of Abraham Galloway, the fugitive slave turned Union spy. Civil War history books never run dry of courageous figures and admirable leaders to decorate with praise in the years prior to, during, and after the war between the states. But you might be hard-pressed to find Abraham Galloway's name among any of those tales, at least was the case in the years after his death in 1870 and well into the 20th century. But Abraham has a story to tell, one of sacrifice, bravery, cunning, and intrigue that carried him through the war, across states' borders, behind enemy lines, and eventually to true freedom, if only history had allowed him to be remembered for it. Abraham was born in 1837 to John Galloway, a privileged white man, and Hester Hankins, a black slave, though neither of which could claim him as their own. Instead, as pre-Civil War law dictated, he was the property of his mother's owner, Milton Hankins. After his birth, the Hankins family, with Hester and Abraham in tow, moved to 4th Street in Wilmington. Despite his status as a slave, Abraham commanded a nice career for himself as a brick mason as he grew up and eventually drew a respectable salary for himself and Milton. But Abraham never felt safe. His value as a skilled mason meant it was possible he could be sold by Milton for a sizable sum at any moment, possibly to cruel slave owners in deep south states like Louisiana and Mississippi, where slaves were never freed or able to escape. So Abraham took action. With a well-timed bribe, he and a friend hid in the cargo hold of a schooner bound for Philadelphia in June 1857 and eventually made their way north to Canada. At this point, more than 1,200 miles separated him from his mother back at the Hankins' home in Wilmington. Abraham was passionate about the local efforts in Canada to free those enslaved back in the States, and despite what safety Canada afforded him, he eventually crossed back over into the United States to speak for abolitionist causes and smuggle more slaves to freedom. But even before leaving Wilmington, he had long expressed a deep conviction to fight for, and possibly die for, the freedom of his fellow people. Abraham wisely didn't stay put for long after returning to the States. He was constantly on the move from town to town, 
where he is said to have crossed paths with abolitionist leaders like William Lloyd Garrison and Frederick Douglass. He even made the trip to Haiti to attempt to establish a freed slaves community and plan for the armed attack of the South. But his plans crumbled, and he was back in the States before the first shot of the war was fired at Fort Sumter. With the nation at war, the Union recruited the brazen Abraham to be a spy, sending him at unspeakable risk into the South to recruit slave informants and gather intelligence, which some historians say helped the Union secure dominance in several North Carolina coastal towns. He even traveled to states like Mississippi and Louisiana that he once feared and saw the brutality of slave owners firsthand. He was captured along with hundreds of slaves after being abandoned by Union soldiers at Vicksburg, Mississippi, and presumed dead for months. He eventually arrived back at the Union stronghold in Newburn, starved and wounded, never to speak a word of how he survived what many believed would be certain death. Through his struggles, Abraham had lost faith in the Union and its leader, President Abraham Lincoln. It is said that he felt the slaves were just instruments in the Union's war, and promises of freedom were never resolute. He even held a gun to the head of an associate of Lincoln's, and demanded equal pay for freed slaves fighting among the ranks of the Union Army. His demands were met. Abraham was a quiet force of nature in the war, and an unflinching advocate for black people, as more and more Northerners resisted the idea the war was being fought to secure their freedom. His story is almost too robust to tell in one sitting, with many of his journeys back and forth into southern territory to free slaves never reported. And yet, his most personal mission was still to come. In late 1863, it had been more than six years since Abraham had seen his mother, Hester. Even with the clamor of war, she remained in Wilmington, where Abraham found her on his last mission to the south. It could be said that Abraham risked everything to bring his mother to freedom. As Wilmington was not only one of the Confederacy's most fortified cities, it was also a place where he was still very well known. Even so, he made the journey from Newburn to Wilmington, and when he returned, he did so hand-in-hand with Hester. Just a few days shy of 1864, Abraham married Martha Ann Dixon and continued his speaking tour for the rights of all men. He led a black delegation of Southerners to a meeting with Lincoln in April 64, and was elected by Frederick Douglass himself to serve in the National Convention of Colored Men of the United States. Despite swelling political clout and prominence, Abraham still saw Wilmington as home, and moved back to the port city just a few weeks after the Confederacy conceded defeat. He made his home in the same block as the Hankins house, where he was raised as someone else's property. Now he moved in as his own man, who continued to advocate for the freed black man in every way possible. He would go on to represent New Hanover County in the North Carolina Constitutional Congress in 1868, and he served two terms as a state senator, all while defying laws passed by white Southerners, still grasping at the ways of the past in a continued effort to systematically oppress people of color. Despite multiple attempts on his life, including a brutal stabbing and one effort to hang him, Abraham was never going to let someone else end his story. Sadly, It did come to a sudden climax on September 1st, 1870. Abraham was still young at the age of 33. His mother was with him in the final moments. Some suspected foul play, but his wife cited heart problems. The latter is not an unbelievable idea for a man who never stopped moving from the time he fled Wilmington before the war to the time he returned home to make it and the rest of North Carolina a more tolerant place after it ended. His efforts, of course, fell on mostly deaf ears for decades after his death, 
and most of his triumphs were erased from history by those still looking to stifle his impact. It wasn't until 2014 that Wilmington placed a historical marker at 3rd and Brunswick Streets in his honor. The plaque boils down Abraham's accomplishments to just a few words. Former slave, freedom fighter, union recruiter and spy, legislator, led a delegation that met President Lincoln in 1864, lived one block east. In all fairness to the sign writer, the entirety of Abraham Galloway's tremendous life was never going to fit on one sign. Joining me now is John Hercheck, a Wilmington resident, the author of Legends of Old Wilmington and the Cape Fear. And with his wife, Kim, they are the co-founders of the Ghost Walk of Old Wilmington and the owners of the Black Cat Shops in Wilmington and New Bern. Thanks for joining me, John. Oh, thanks for having me. So we're going to talk about uh, Abraham Galloway's story, which you included in your book, which you, you told me you were particularly fascinated by because of uh, a few facets of his life. Uh, tell me a little bit about what got you into Abraham's story. Yeah, when I, I first read uh, his story uh, in a book of essays uh, by David Soselsky, and it was it was maybe twelve pages, and I was just amazed by the volume of things he had accomplished in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. And what really threw me at the end of the story was when I discovered that he was only thirty three years old, yeah. and it seemed like a lifetime of achievements that he accomplished in in such a short time period, but also being handicapped by being illiterate, by mm-hmm. uh, unable to write, unable to read, um, born a slave, to overcome all of that and accomplish mm-hmm. what he did and to survive as long as he did. Just yeah. uh, it, it just blew me away. I just thought, wow, how come I I have never heard of this guy before. This is, I mean, by all definitions, what a hero is. Absolutely. And, you know, there, there's several times that, that we've written things about him at the paper, but it's not until recently that people, at least, you know, from what you found, have really been talking about his story more. How much information is there out there about him? Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of missing information. Mm-hmm. Um uh, un- after he died, he was intentionally erased from history. A lot of the information on on uh, Abraham Galloway ha- has gone missing. A lot of the family information, certainly his grave, his headstone. And uh, when you're intentionally written out of history, it's very hard to go back and rebuild someone's life, even though it's only been, you know, around 170 years or so. Um, it-, it might as well be thousands of years ago in a foreign language. It- 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 it's very difficult to find information. Uh, details uh, pertaining to his life. And, and, you know, when you mentioned in your book that, you know, that might have been a little deliberate or very much deliberate by some of the people who weren't uh, happy with kind of his standing in the community there later in his life once he uh, became a member of the the Senate, the North Carolina Senate. And and so there was that in, you know, at least on some people's part, that intention to kind of wipe his those achievements away from history to kind of almost spite him after death. Yeah, and and not just Abraham, but also all African Americans in our community to, uh, I mean, to eliminate a hero. I I mean, uh, pretty much completely eliminate a hero um, from the context of the Civil War and what followed is, uh, it's such a disservice, especially when you're looking at times of healing and closure. And Abraham Galloway is someone we can all look upon as 
who lived, maybe was not born into an American life, the ideal American life, but certainly lived by our values Mm -hmm. and expressed himself in that way and desired nothing more than freedom, not just for his people, but for all people, Mm -hmm. Uh, men, women, black, white, didn't matter. He he just felt that that these are issues that could be addressed and could be cured if, if we had the backbone to address them and deal with them honestly. And, you know, when you take away someone's hero like that, it's very hard when you don't have people to fall back on yeah. that you can say, this is someone I strive to be. This is what I would like to, you know, this is what I'd like my children to be raised knowing. And, and you know, when you take that away, it really is a blank spot. Yeah. You know, in your book and, and through some of the research I've done myself on this, he did so much during the Civil War. He was constantly moving. He was moving, whether it was to, to kind of gather information or, you know, free slaves himself, he was constantly moving. What kind of risk was there for him, not only as as someone who was born a slave, who escaped, went to Canada, came back to continue to free people? You know, what kind of risk was there to constantly move throughout the country during the thick of the Civil War, not just in the North, but very much deep into the South? Oh, tremendous risk. It's not like he was a uh, an Englishman during World War II who spoke fluent German, who dropped behind enemy lines with his blonde hair and blue eyes and, you know, blended in. You didn't blend in in the South. If you were a black man and you were wandering the streets, you were a slave. And so if you didn't have your papers, um, you you were essentially taken into custody. And uh, the 1850 Fugitive Slave Act essentially meant that anywhere that that uh, he was seized, he could be returned to the South as a slave. So he took a huge amount of risk um, visiting almost every state in the Confederacy. Again, either either as a spy, um, collecting information, uh, or helping uh, fellow slaves to escape. Uh, every day that he was behind what was essentially enemy lines was uh, was a risk. And again, at such incredible risk. You know, I, I don't think that can be reiterated enough that, you know, he was, it would have likely been a death sentence had he caught. And, you know, he was captured there for a little while in the deep south in Mississippi and, and even feared dead. But then he made his way back to New Bern and then eventually Wilmington. So he had an, an, an incredible life. You know, I, I mentioned New Bern and, and Wilmington because he had this place in New Bern, basically, where he would return to after his these missions in into the south. So tell me a little bit about that aspect of because that was towards the end of the war. And it was right before he went back to rescue his mother. What, what was his life and what was he doing? here kind of in southeastern North Carolina, New Bern, Wilmington area? Sure. So he was very critical in the fall of New Bern and Hatteras and certain parts of North Carolina mm-hmm. uh, very early on in the uh, in the war. It was in the spring of 1862 or so. So it was very early on in the war. He used New Bern as his home base, mm-hmm. being that, I mean, it's 80 miles from Wilmington. So being that close to enemy lines, essentially being surrounded by enemy lines, it allowed him easy ingress and egress into the southern state. So New Bern, he would always return to until he actually moved back into Wilmington after the war. That is where he would uh, he would return escaped slaves to or bring escaped slaves to. That's where he did his recruiting for um, for Union troops, for the African Brigade. He considered it as, as it was a place of safety. Um, it was filled with Union troops. So he knew no matter what, even as poorly as Union troops could could treat uh, black men back then, uh, he still knew it was a place of safety. He had a lot of contacts there in the North uh, as well as in the South. And, uh, and, and so he used it as a headquarters. And it worked out very much in his favor 
because he was that close to his mother there um, towards the end of the war when he went back into Wilmington, where he was still very well known, and rescued her and uh, and brought her back to New Bern to base. And that is perhaps the part of the story of, of his life that, that most moved me. If, he, if that was his single act of heroism in his entire lifetime— I would I would worship him. Never mind all these other things he did. For him to return to Wilmington, uh, where he was well known, he was a brick mason. A lot of people recognized him, um, and it, not just they'd recognize him, but Wilmington was fortified. I mean, the Confederacy understood the importance of Wilmington, as did the Union. And so it was well fortified and well guarded. And for him to slip in at night and smuggle his mother away from slavery, and not just that, but to to take her arm and to help her take her first step into freedom. I mean, I, I mean, we should all aspire to be that yeah. to our mothers is is to show that level of devotion. And and that was his last foray into the South. Um, at that point, he was disillusioned. He had he had become more political. He had I mean, frankly, he had just taken a beating in his life. I mean, he had just suffered. He had just suffered enough. And it was uh, it was just more and more difficult for him to to uh, travel south. But also, I think he recognized, I mean, he was a very smart man. He recognized that his value was no longer operating as this as this lone wolf. If, if he was going to do anything of value at that point, he knew that he needed to work on the future generations. He needed to work to a bigger audience and he needed to expand his base. I can't speak for Abraham, but I know, it, you know, just in terms of my own mother, you know, it, it's almost as if his mission was not finished until his mother was free. And that's that's a beautiful facet of the story. It is. I think that I real I, I agree. I think that that was. I mean, that was the culmination of no doubt. When he escaped, he knew he was leaving his mother behind. Mm-hmm. He knew it. And now he he was confident that she would be safe. But you know, she was still a slave. I mean, there's no getting around it. So he knew in a way that he abandoned his mother. And how much do we know about what happens to his family and his wife and his children after his death? Very little. Um, as I mentioned, David Soselsky, uh, uh wrote this essay, this book of, and compiled this book of essays on, and included the one on Abraham Galloway. He then went on to write a book uh, about seven years ago on Abraham's life, a, mo- a more, a much more detailed book, and. And in, you know, trying to find information in our local history room, which is where you would imagine you'd compile a lot of the information. Uh, and I know where David did a lot of his research. So much of his life is is missing and has gone. It's a blank. It's it, it, like back then it was much easier to, to erase someone from existence. Today, it's hard for people to imagine today yeah. with all our technologies and data being saved everywhere and even microfish that you can go back and look at newspaper accounts. This stuff just doesn't, if you successfully keep his life as it moves on, his family's life um, from the public eye and you work your way backwards, it's pretty easy to eliminate someone back in that time. Back then, it was just about burning papers and, you know, eventually people would fade from conversation and, and you know, they would become stories and, you know, stories absolutely last, especially for the communities in which they were important. But for an official record and then for the larger population, you know, you can definitely do some damage to someone's memory. That's I mean, so they, they could burn those papers. And again, he, you know, he couldn't write 
or read. We have to keep that in mind that he was able to do all of this and serve North Carolina honorably. In fact, to serve well enough to be elected to a second term, mm-hmm. um, which at that point, the, you know, the the Southern Democrats had had unified again, and it was it was they were already making it difficult on uh, on these newly freed African Americans. And really amazing that you know you can bust a headstone, you can you can dig up the grave, you can erase him from the history books. But you're right. I mean the memory memory of people won't fade. And, and and not to say that his heroic efforts ever really went away. They just yeah. went away from daylight. And yeah. they were preserved by his descendants and friends and uh, all the people that he influenced. And enough remained that, you know, his story could be brought back. And again, I credit David for, for his research and, and our local uh, history room at the library for, for all they were able to do to, to bring back this story and make sure that it, uh, it doesn't just stay alive alive, but it, it grows upon and that people latch onto this and realize that, you know, we have our hero in our midst mm-hmm. and we it's time for us to do more than put up a plaque on Third Street. It's time for us to step up and recognize some of these people who were, in the end, nothing short of just great Americans. And, and we don't know where he's buried, correct? We know it was in Forest Hills Cemetery. His headstone was removed. I'm not sure if the body was dug up or not, mm-hmm. but yeah, any indication of where exactly he's buried is, uh, is, is a mystery. And so, you know, and you even mentioned in your book, there were several attempts made on his life there at the end. None of them were successful. One of them, uh, he was shot, correct? He w- he was shot. He was attacked with a knife. Yeah, there were just numerous attempts on his life uh, the whole time leading up to his running for the uh, state legislature and then the whole time he served. In fact, when he died, they, you know, a lot of people were convinced it was foul play. A lot of people were convinced he was murdered and, and he may have been. I mean, it, it would be It'd be nice if they could locate the body and exhume it and and do some testing to determine what ultimately led to his demise. But um, his wife was convinced it was a heart condition. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, the body would be nice. And and then again, the next step would be, you know, we need to do we need to get him back in our history books. We need to get I think his story needs to be out there. I think it's a wonderful story and it it makes me proud as an American. And I, I think it's it's a he's a type of person that a lot of people can latch on to and say, wow you know he lived his life right it sounds like he needs a movie as you mentioned earlier uh that's the best way it seems for people to really take an interest in history that may have been long forgotten for the the more general public uh, you know it's funny when I, I i guess like a lot of people i'm a visual thinker and mm-hmm. so when i read his story and i was visualizing it i was seeing it as a movie and I thought, wow. And then we told this story for a long time on our tours. Uh, We had an unusual Tales of Old Wilmington, which was unusual, interesting unknown histories and and the reception we got in the story was just fr- from our black and white audience was you know we really knew we touched nerve on this then when I read David's book um, and then when I was doing the research for my story I, the whole time I thought I, I can't believe with our film industry here and now it's a little different now but the film industry back then that no one has latched on to this because this is to me is a blockbuster film it's it's an incredible character uh, who did incredible things that I think are relevant today. I think that his fight for women's rights, his his fight to free the uh, the poor uh, whites who were also victims of slavery in the South. I think all of the things he did, he was just ahead of his time. Well, thanks for talking about Abraham Galloway with me, John. I really appreciate being here. Yeah, thank you.
that's it for this week's episode of Cape Fear Unearthed and the story of Abraham Galloway. Thank you so much for joining me. Check back next Thursday for a new episode where we will explore another tale from the history books. Until then, we want to hear from you, the listener, about what story you think we should cover on a future episode. Be sure to email us your favorite local tale to capefearunearthed at gmail.com. The final episode this season is going to be a reader-submitted topic, and it could be yours. Also, be sure to share your thoughts on this week's episode on Twitter with the hashtag CFUnearthed. You can also join our Facebook group, where I will be posting extra content like pictures pertaining to each week's episode and more as the season progresses. You can find that group by searching Cape Fear Unearthed on Facebook. Finally, you can find a list of all the books, articles, and resources used in researching this podcast in the show notes. That's where you can also find more information about my guest, John Hercheck's book. Cape Fear Unearthed was written, edited, and hosted by me, Hunter Ingram. You can find more of my work at starnewsonline.com and on Twitter at Hunter Ingram SN. Until next week. Get out and explore the Cape Fear region on your own. What you learn might just surprise you.